enjoyed so far the series we've been in in the month of June, Man of God. Hasn't it been awesome, Laura? It's been such a great sermon series. And pastor asked me nicely and politely, and he gave me the opportunity, I'm very humble by it, to come up and end this series the last Sunday in June on Man of God. What a powerful couple of sermons pastors preached to us. And honestly, if we could be real transparent, there's not really a whole lot left to say. He's thrown it down hot and juicy every single week. I mean, it's been good. I mean, like real good with a lot of O's in the middle of it, right? I mean, it's been really, really good. And I'm sitting on the front row going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. That's my leader. That's my charge and commander. I mean, like, yes, that's what we want our pastor to speak and scream and holler and lead us in to be men of God in this church. And here's what you got to understand, Molly, is that when the man is right, the house is right. When the man is right, the home and church and business and right. And some of you ladies back there sit back, you're like, oh, it's, that's just male chauvinistic and that's just this. And no, no, no. Listen, statistically, it's true. When the man is right and he's in the house, the wife follows, the kids follows. And if we as a church can reach the men then so goes society, then so goes our homes. And this morning, I want to close up this awesome Man of God series with just a couple of thoughts. I want to start and look at what do do women need out of a man and what do our kids and children, if we could put it, the next generation need from men of God. I also want to jump into scripture just for a moment and give you one scripture today. That's it. I'm going to give you one scripture about a man in the Bible that most of us have probably never heard of. We just skip right over. And I want to pull some truth out of that. And then I want to finalize things. I want to conclude stuff with a story from within. There's a man in this church that you probably don't even know. And you've probably never heard his story. And I just felt like last Saturday when I was preparing for this, for this day, the Lord dropped on my spirit to get this man to close out this series and for us to hear his story and how awesome it is. So Father, I just ask that in these next 15 minutos, God, that you would come and you would think through my mind, you would speak through my vocal cords, that it would be all of you. Lord, I need you. Don't want to just rely upon my own creativity or charisma. I want to rely upon your presence and your word. Have your way in this place today. And everyone says... Amen. Amen. So I, I kind of walked around and looked around and asked some people, Pastor Richard, what does a woman need? What does she want in a man? Right. I mean, it's kind of some fun stuff right here. We look, we look at what a woman needs. She needs some stability from the man. Can some of our ladies say amen? To keep the job, to keep consistency within the home. We see that the woman wants purity. She wants her man to stay away from the pornography, from the other women, to stay pure and holy and devoted. She needs from him protection and strength. And this is one of the greatest characteristics of what a woman needs, is that strong support that's there that identifies that I know I'm going to be safe. My home is guarded, my marriage is guarded, and my kids are guarded. 
And I'm gonna be a man who provides protection and strength. We also see, this is the fun one, right? We need, the, the woman needs the love and the romance, right? And Chris, I could probably do a little better job on that one. But we know that at the end of the day, the woman wants to be loved. She wants to be romance. She wants to be like wooed. And there's still, even if you've been married 30, 40 years, there's this dating process that still happens. We also see that she needs, come on ladies, provision with predictable finances, right? She wants to know that that paycheck, whether it's from plumbing or principal or whatever it is you're doing, that that paycheck's going to be consistent and food's going to be on the table, the home's going to be taken care of, and that you're going to have your butt a job. Can somebody say amen? There needs to be predictable finances. We also see in this, in this relationship, there's need to be compassion and humility. Come on, guys. There's a, a sense of us that is strong, and we know it all, and we got it all together, but there's also a place in our marriages and our homes where we've got to get down and repent. And these women in our lives need to see that we cry and that we can be broken. Yes, we're rock hard on the inside, but like that candy shell, we're soft and mushy on the inside. And we need to show some humility every once in a while. And this is the good one, right? That every once in a while, you just need to relax and have some fun, right? Pass gas every once in a while just to have a little fun. Come on, say a joke every once in a while just to have a little fun. Come on, do something out of the ordinary to not be this man statue, but have some fun. Bring laughter into the marriage and into the home. And then lastly, these women, this is what I asked. It's kind of asking, like, what do you need? What do you want? They said, I just, honesty. I need honesty. But here's the truth about all of these nine to 10 different traits that a woman needs. The truth is, is that when I look at this list, there is no way that I can fulfill all of those or be great at all of them. There's no way. When I look, go back to that list. When I look at that list, there's tension in my life of going, I'm not all that. Man, and when I put all of that upon my back to try to be all of that, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm incapable and I feel short of being the true man of God. So when we really get down to what a woman wants, we can't be all of those things. But what we have to be is godly. And if I will pursue God with all of my heart, mind, and strength, if I will go after being a godly man, not just a compassionate man, not just a loving romantic man, not just a funny man, but if I can go after God, then God will make sure that in the right time, in the right place, in the right season, he will insert a little compassionate. He will insert a little love and romance. He will insert a little humility. If I will go after God with everything I have, then those things will come alive inside of me. So what we want are godly men in this church, in our homes in our family. That's my pursuit. So I asked some kids, asked some kids, even asked my own kids, and they didn't give me a full list, right? They were a little scared of dad and what dad was getting at. Are you going to put us in your sermon, dad? Right? They, they didn't know what I was getting at, but I asked some kids what they needed from a man of God. Here's what they said. They need faithfulness to a job, to a church, to a family. They need growth spiritually and physically. They need, come on, this is a big one, dads, patience when dealing with adolescence and growing up and all the tips and trials of life and what it brings, we also need to teach them what they need is how to do life, how to vacuum the floor, how to clean up the windows, how to get that room straightened up and make that bed, how to do you some dishes, 
how to get out and wash and wax the car. Come on, how to get out there with the old Honda lawnmower and mow you some grass and trim you some edges, right? Come on, they, they need, these kids need, my, my kids didn't really go hard on that one, but, but I did. They, they need to be taught how to do life. They also need encouragement. That's what they need from a man of God, James. Just someone to come alongside, you're doing great. I love you. You got this. You're going to be something great. They need that encouragement. They also need repentance when wrong. They need us to fall down on our face and cry. I remember one day when I was in the middle of about to leave to go preach a revival in Midland, Texas, and it was a little hot storm before I left, and I blew up. I remember I used to struggle with anger. I I blew up and got really mad at the house, and I remember having to, before I leave, get down on my hands and knees on the stairs in my house and weep in front of my wife and kids to say, I'm sorry. They need to see that love and repentance. The kids, they, they need what? They need identity. They also need to see how to love mom, right? Because the way you're treating mom is the way they're going to treat mom and the way they're going to treat their future husband or wife. We also see at the end, come on, this is the biggest. We need to show these kids love, unconditional and tough love. Both of those things, all of those things there are what kids really need from a man of God. But once again, as I said with the women, I'm going to say again right now, when I look at that list, that becomes such a mountain of tension on my shoulders to say, I can't be all of that. But what I can be is godly. What I want my kids to say at the end of the day was, it was not that my dad was perfect, but I want him to say that he was godly, that he pursued God with all of his heart. I love maybe one of the greatest profile statements in all the Bible in the Old Testament is after King David, when it says that he was what? A man after God's own heart. That sums it up because you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have adversity. You're going to screw it up and not do everything right. That mountain of profile is too large for all of us to handle. But if you and I, men in this room, can become men of God that are after, after, after his own heart, then we'll see our kids. We'll see our wives. We'll see this generation. We'll see this church rise up and do great things for him. Why? Because we went after him. We're men of God. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Judges because Judges talks about a lot of great men. There are a lot of amazing stories that I don't have time to get into this morning of crazy stuff that happens in the Bible. You open the Bible and you're like, Alan, or this is boring, boring. But if you go to the book of Judges, you'll see some crazy stuff that happens with some men and women of God that God uses to do big things. And so what my question is, is to sum up this sermon series, is that where, where are the heroes and warriors for God? You see, God doesn't just want to bring us into a place. He wants to take us on a mission. This is what I believe, that when Jesus saved you, he didn't come just to rescue you. He came to recruit you, to put you on a mission, to take you and do something big for him. And when we study the book of Judges and all of these great stories, we'll see men and women of God. Some of them had a paragraph. Some of them sentences. Some of them one sentence. Some of them whole pages. But all of them went on mission for God. People like Gideon, Samson, Jael. Come on, people like Barak, Ehud. 
We look at all of these great warriors that rose up and did big things for God and sandwiched right in the middle of them is one I'm going to tell you about today. And in this telling, I want you to see that this is the reason why men and women of God stood up in those days. Why were they so heroic? Why did they do such big things for God? Because there was a cycle that was going on in the land then that also is going on in the land now. This is what would happen. You ready? This is what I call the cycle of sin. This is what researchers would kind of document as this sin cycle that would pass down through all the Old Testament. People would fall into sin and idolatry. Sounds familiar, right? And then they would become in bondage and slaves to that sin. They had consequences for the decisions they made as a family, as a nation, as a man or woman of God. So they started out in sin. They went into bondage and slavery. And then what happened? They became frustrated with their environment. I can't believe this is happening. They begin to gripe and complain unto God. What they begin to do, they begin to repent and say, God, we're sorry. God, we need your help. And out of that cry for help, when somebody got down on their knees, come on, this is a great birthing place for revival. That when they would birth down on their knees and begin to cry out and tear themselves and say, God, we're sorry. We don't want to be slaves anymore. We're sick of our sin. We stink, God. Then out of that cry, God would always raise up in those days, a judge, a deliverer, a hero, a warrior. And he would raise up the Gideon, the Samson, the Ehud. He would raise up up these men and women of God to come and rescue his people, Israel, and bring them into what? Freedom and safety and peace. And it happened over and over and over and over. And you say, you naughty Old Testament people. No, 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 no. Naughty Americans in 2021, because we find ourselves, Eleanor, doing the same exact thing. We fall into sin, become bondage and slaves, We cry out and God raises up a deliverer. And I believe that this series can really capture that the men in this church can become the hero and warrior that God raises up to bring freedom, that God raises up to bring revival, that God raises up to do something big in this church, in your home, in your employment, in this nation and in this city. God has got a mission for every one of us men of God. So let's turn, let's turn to this. You ready? One sentence In Judges chapter 3, verse 31, one sentence, 331, this is what it says. After Ehud came Shamgar, everyone say Shamgar, son of Aneth, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. We're going to spend just the next few moments on this one verse because I want you to see there were four ingredients that brought success to Shamgar. The first one was simply this, is that he was obedient to trusting the generations. What do I I mean by that? I mean that I read from this text, Joel, that Shamgar had to have known that there was somebody behind him and someone going to be in front of him that he was a part of a generation and his mission was to do everything that he needed with that moment in that time. You see, all of us are standing in a moment where we're going to rise up and do something big. Most of us are sitting back, man, when am I going to get my big break? When is the TV reality show going to come and check me out? When is pastor going to give me a mic to put me on the stage? When am I going to get a ministry of my own? And most of us are waiting for our big break, but here was Shamgar. He knew that in the middle of a moment, he had a second to do something big for God. You see, all of us are not on our own. There were people 
in front of us and there are going to be people behind us. There was a Daryl in front of me and there was a Tyson underneath me. There was, come on, there was a whole lot of bosses and leaders. There was a Jeff in front of me and now there's a, what's his name? Jackson behind me. There's a lot of transition that goes on in our culture and amongst the generations. And if you'll begin to look back, there was a grandpa ahead of you and there's a grandson coming behind you. You'll begin to realize that your legacy is so important. But legacy is not just what you do right now to be remembered. Legacy is what you do in others to be remembered. It's not about someone going, great man of God. I like his picture. He said a lot of funny stuff. No, no, no. Legacy is not about what people say about you. Legacy is what people do about you. The mission, the heartbeat, the passion. So here was Shamgar. He was in the middle trying to do something great for God. And he did it. I also see number two, that Shamgar, he did great work by resisting evil. He did great work by resisting evil. What are you talking about? He was standing in his field. You see this story, this man was over 3,000 years ago and he stood up in his field. He wasn't an architect. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a plumber. He wasn't a school teacher. He wasn't a pastor. You know who Shamgar was? He was a farmer. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He was a farmer that stood in the middle of his field and he did great work by resisting evil. What was the evil? The evil was the enemy Philistines that were coming in to attack him his family, his home, his generation. And Shamgar stood up and did great work by resisting the evil. My question is to us today, what is the evil coming at you? Some of you in this room have some evil coming after you and your family. Some of it's called alcoholism. Some of it's called depression. Some of it's called a suicidal spirit. Some of it's called pornography and lust. Some of it's called greed. Some of it's called mental health problems. But all of us have a moment in our life where we can stand up and do great work and resist the evil that's going around around us can somebody say amen he stood up and he resisted evil by doing something great he slew the philistines 600 of them but this is what we don't also know we don't know how many got away we do know how many he caught how many he killed how many destroyed and so it is with us we're not going to kill every enemy we're not going to knock out every devil but what we can do with what we have can stand up and do something great for god resisting evil the third thing, the third thing that I see in this short little one verse, short verse, but powerful punch was that he used what was in his hand. He trusted the ox goad that was in his hand. Do you know what an ox goad is? An ox goad is just a big, long wooden stick, like a broom handle with a sharp little pointy thing at the end. So he walked around with a broomstick and a little pointed metal piece on the end of it. And he killed 600 Philistines. What Shamgar did was he trusted the thing that God had given him. And so many of us have so many excuses. We point, we, we're not Pastor Kendall Bridges and we don't have this and I don't have a degree and I, I didn't go to Bible school and I, I don't have a family name and I don't have much. I've been to prison. I made too many mistakes. But here was Shamgar. He simply took what he had in his hand, a broom handle and a sharp pointy metal sharp thing on the end, which was nothing more than a cattle prod. And he went off and he defeated the enemy with an ox goad. Wow. We ain't got an excuse, do we? I don't care what family you came from. I don't care what excuses you have. Shamgar stood up in the midst of his own farm and killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Wow. What did he do? Lastly, lastly, this was a part of his ingredients to his success story. He simply 
served his nation. And here's the crazy part. It says that he too saved Israel. You know what it was? It was simply him being a savior. We don't get, he didn't get much credit. Most of us have never even heard of Shamgar. How many of you have never heard of Shamgar? Come on, raise those hands. You have never heard of Shamgar. Yeah, 99% of this audience, you've never heard of Shamgar, but you know what he was? He was a savior. He saved his people. He served his people. He went out when no one else was looking and he did something big for God. And so it is a lesson and a test and an ingredient for us that even when no one else is looking to step up and do something big for him, I believe, I believe that the men of God in this room, you can save to your family. You can save to your story. You can save to your street, your block, your home, your city. You can do something big for God if you'll simply step up with the attitude that Shamgar had and said, I'm going to serve. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to put on my work boots and I'm going to go to work for my kids, my grandkids, the next generation. I'm going to do something big for God, just like Shamgar. Simply put, simply put, simply put, Shamgar, this is what he did. He, said, he, just, he just started where he was at. He was a farmer. He didn't make excuses. He started where he was at, what he did. He used what was in his hand and he did the best he could do. That's it. And that's what every hero does. They start where they're at. They use what's in their hands. They don't make excuses. They don't blame the government or Biden or Trump. They just go for it, man. And they do the best they can. And I just came to tell you to conclude this message that every man of God in this room, if you'll just do the best you can, God will come through and he will resurrect your family. God will come through and give you supernatural powers. God will come through and take away that alcoholism. He will take away those drug addictions. He will take away those lustful thoughts. He will take away the mental and the depression and all the stuff that's coming at you like the Philistines, God will raise you up and give you two a story. And that's what we all want, isn't it? A story. And some of us have a big story, pages and pages. And some of us like Shamgar have one sentence. Some of us, our stories may not ever be told, but at the end of our lives, I want your life and my life to count with a story. Oh man, Tracy Love to come on up. I, I just felt like it would be so good to hear from one of our own church members that maybe you've never heard his story. This is my man, Tracy. Tracy and I went and had fuzzy tacos a couple months ago and I fell in love with this man. And a lot like Shamgar, one little sentence, he didn't have much, but he fought. You're going to see the fight in this man and what God's done in him to kill the enemy. Share your story. Good morning, Freedom Church. How are y'all doing? I just want to thank Pastor Kendall and Pastor Cal for allowing me to share my testimony for Christ's glory. I was raised in a uh, single parent home. Um, my mom was installed me in the church. I was in the church. Um, you know, my mom had good values. Um, uh, I stayed, uh, I steered away. I started, uh, went to high school, started drinking and doing drugs. And uh, drugs and then alcohol led me to prison. And uh, <clears throat> I did five years in prison. Uh, come to find out uh, while I was in prison, I had a brain tumor. But God, but God. See, what the devil meant for bad, God will turn around and meant it for good. We got free choices. The choices that we make come with consequences. I had a free choice not to drink, not to do drugs or run the streets, gang bang and all that. 
But you see the glory, but you don't know my story. See, God is good. And I, I just want to share just a little bit of what he has done for me. I told you I've been to prison. And let me tell you this. I was healed from a brain tumor while I was in prison. Tell me good, God ain't good. You know, as I go back and I look over my life and I think back of where I was when I was lost. You know how in the Bible it says that he, he left the 99 to go, go back to get the one. He came back and got me. And I'm truly, truly grateful for that. You know, my, my life is, um, is wonderful now. I serve God. I've been at Freedom Church for five years. This is the first church that when I was released from prison, I've been going to this church ever since. And this is my home. And I want to you know, say to Pastor Kendall, you inspire me to be a better man. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Let me tell you, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've been through, God is amazing God. And I want to just give you a little, just a little glimpse of what he done for me. So when I was in prison, when I found I had a brain tumor, I had to go to a facility called John Seeley. And I had to go there to get an MRI, a casket on my brain. And so I went into this room and I was in there by myself, but in prison, you're not supposed to be in the room by yourself. Well, there was a lady by the name of Joy. She was a nurse. She came to pray for me. She told me God was going to heal me. So she prayed for me. I left the facility and I was handcuffed to a dude with a life sentence. A lot of people on the bus were sick. And I asked God, why me? And he said, why not you? You know, different from nobody else. And I told God this. I said, if you heal me, if you don't heal me, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. I'm healed from that brain tumor today. The lady that prayed for me, Miss Joy, she didn't even work there. They never knew, they never heard of that name before. Tell me God ain't good. See, what God got for you, he got exactly for you. We got to be three things. We got to be willing, committed, and available to allow God to use you for his glory. Amen. And I just want to encourage you, no matter what you've been through, if you're, feeling with, if you're dealing with drugs and alcohol, God can deliver you from that. I'm a living testimony to it. If, you, if, you, if you're sick, he can heal you. He healed me in prison. I was handcuffed. He healed me while I was in prison. Tell me God ain't good. He's good. And I just want to say I love y'all. God bless y'all. I don't have much time, but I just want to say I'm truly, truly grateful to be able to share my story. But in conclusion, I went back into the prison and shared my story. The same prison I was locked up in, God blessed me to be able to go back and share my story with them guys in prison to let them know that if God can do it for me, he can do it for them. God bless you and may the Lord keep you. Come on, come on, Tracy, right here. Hey, wasn't that powerful? Hey, here's what he didn't tell you he is, either is he, he feels called now by God to go on a mission. 
that God just didn't rescue him. Now he's recruited him to go and be a pastor and to speak testimony and to love on and minister to people that are in prison. And this is our job, church, to find guys like Tracy, to pull them out of the muck, to bring them up to life and send them on mission. What a powerful man of God God's building up in Tracy Love right here. Give him one more big round of applause. Come on, Tracy.